right, thank you, choir. I was, uh, what an invitation to come home. I was thinking of the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And uh, when he came to himself, and the scripture says uh, to go back to home to his father and uh, the home. And there the father was waiting for him to come back. Now often we stray. Um, a song that says we're prone to wonder, and the Lord I know it. And prone to leave the God I love. And he's, he's never left us. We leave him. And uh, we've got to come back into that place, into the arms of the Heavenly Father, where there is comfort and um, where we can take on the yoke of our Savior and learn of Him. So, what a, a song of invitation here to keep our hearts focused and coming back to the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Um, we're returning to a scene that Luke is um, painting for us. The mountain, the meeting, and the message. We talked last week about the mountain and this scene that is set where the Lord Jesus Christ has come to um, the Mount of Alteration is the word that Luke uses, the Mount of Transfiguration, what Matthew and Mark use. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, and it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, or Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, or as they were departing from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he thus spoke, while he was speaking, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him, or listen to him. When the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Father, help us in the moments that we have to look at this uh, seen again and come to this place of the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ, a revealing of Christ in his glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My wife and I were out walking in our neighborhood a few nights back, and uh, it was dark, and um, the kids were in bed, and uh, we were just walking down the street, and, and all of a sudden we looked up, and um, we saw these lights, and uh, it, it was just in a, in a row of, of lights. And the first thing that came to me was, uh, you, know, uh, some, some, you know, aliens are coming to get us. You know, that's just kind of as a joke. Um, and, then, and then I thought, um, you know, the end has come. You know, these are the angels that are falling from heaven. And uh, what's going on? Are the Russians are coming? You know, that was the next thing that I thought. And uh, about 24, 25 lights all in a row coming through the atmosphere, and we were just kind of stunned watching this kind of go, and it had to have been way up 
way up there, and I'd never seen anything like this. It wasn't a shooting star. They, they move a whole lot quicker. And so, you know, neither one of us had our phone on to ask Google. And uh, so, you know, we, we just kind of watched what was going on and kind of, but we were curious. We ended our walk. I went in there and uh, sure enough, tapped on to see what, what are the, these lights in a row? Well, come to find out, we had the privilege to see uh, Elon Musk's, um, you know, SpaceX um, Starlink satellites that are all in a row, and they are up there in orbit. I think there's 50, 40-something of them uh, that are in an in a orbit that you can see them, um, and they even got a, calen- or a calendar or, or Starlink watch that you can watch it, and it's an internet service, and uh, that's one way to advertise, all right, is, uh, is to try and scare people with the end of the world of what's going on up there. And uh, so we have so many, so you know, lights, and it just, you know, wow, this is something that's, you know, entry lights have a tendency to, to mesmerize us. July 4th, we love to see lights. And uh, we bring our kids out to these giant, uh, giant fireworks displays because the colors and, and, the, and, and the beauty and the lights that are seen. I've been to some places where they do these light shows and uh, where they have the lights that show different things. Christmas time comes along. We love to go and see lights. Uh, we take our family. Uh, we, the people make a lot of money for the light displays. And um, people also spend a lot of money on their light displays every Christmas. And uh, all these different things about lights. We enjoy going out in, uh, in the summertime when the, when the sky is open in a dark place and look up and just see the lights that God has made. The, the greater light by day and the lesser lights by night that we can enjoy. And when we come to certain descriptions in the Bible, light is the way that often the authors will describe the coming of Jesus. Not the coming of Starlink or the coming of some other, you know, spectacular thing, though it may be to us. But the very coming of the Son of God, the Creator, to this world. Let me take you just to a couple places to draw our attention. Turn back in your Old Testament to the book of Daniel. There are a few places in the Bible that describes the coming of the Son of God in all of His glory. And notice the description. Now this is 500 years before Christ is born. In the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel is going to see the Son of Man who is coming. In Daniel chapter 7, in verse 9... He is able to see a glimpse into the future of Daniel 7 in verse 9. And he said, behold, or I beheld till the thrones were cast down. He's in the middle of this vision. And I'm just dropping you in the middle of the vision. You can read it for yourself later. And the ancient of days did sit on this throne whose garment was white as snow and his hair Like pure wool, his throne was like fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. Look in verse 10. A fiery stream issued, came out or from uh, before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him and the judgment was set 
and the books were open. Look over down into verse 13. And I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And they were given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom which shall not be destroyed. So that's a vision in the Old Testament of apocalypse of the coming of the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days upon His throne, and the description that is given by Daniel in that vision. Now turn over to the New Testament apocalypse, the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, we've got to go all the way to the end of our Bible now, to the book of Revelation, to see this same scene that Daniel saw Long before it happens, John is transported in Revelation to a similar scene, the same scene in, uh, in his Revelation in John chapter 1 in verse 7. Behold, he comes with clouds. Notice the same description that Daniel says. They're seeing the same thing. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail. They shall cry because of him. Even so, amen. Look down at verse 13. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Same description, same words. Clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girded about the paps with the golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool. And as white as snow. And his eyes were as flame of fire. And his feet likened to fine brass. That's shining. As if the burning in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. Now turn over to Revelation 19. Go some chapters into the book of Revelation. We're coming closer to the end of the canon of Scripture. In Revelation 19, now he's going to see the same scene at the end of the book, the coming of the Ancient of Days. In Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Notice the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, white and clean. And out of, the mouth, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he shall smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. Turn over to chapter 21. Chapter 21 in verse 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. This is a vision of, the, of heaven. And every, uh, uh, every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. As transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the dwelling, the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, 
Why? Neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. It was the light that was seen. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Now look at chapter 22 and verse 5. In the descriptions of the new heaven and the new earth. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Now turn back to Luke chapter 9. This description of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two things that have happened. As he went there to pray. His fashion of his face, his countenance was altered. It changed. It became different. Like, it, like no other human being. At no other time before. Something changed. Uh, Mark and Matthew used the word transfigured. Metamorphosis. What was inside came out. And in a different description than what has ever been seen. He was a man but not like any other man that has ever been seen. And the second thing that happened is the raiment it was white and glistering. This is dazzling. He uses two words here to describe this light that was emitting through his clothes. From his skin. And his clothes were shining as well. This was like a light that can't be described. Mark, I believe, is the one who tells us like, like no fuller, no seamstress could go and bleach anything white. It was the, the whitest thing that he had ever seen. And forever had seen. This light that was emitting from him in this description. And what a glorious sight that it was. And as they are writing here this description. They are writing about the glory of Jesus Christ. In his full deity shining forth the glory of the Father himself. Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So at this moment, the, the, the veiling of humanity of Jesus' incarnation, being a baby and, and being a servant and being humbled and being in this, in this human body has now been lifted in some way. And out comes the very divine of who Jesus is. Not that it came on him. All right. That's what happened to Moses on Mount Sinai. He saw the glory of God and a portion of it. And it shone onto him. When he came off the mountain, he had to have a veil over his face because the people couldn't look upon him. This is not the same thing that's happening to Jesus. He's not, being, he's not getting a glimpse of God and therefore it's reflecting off of him. He is an unveiling. This is a glory that is coming out, emitting from who he is, shining out. And the others are the ones who are experiencing that glory shining upon their face. This is the same similar glory that uh, 
Saul of Tarsus is going to see when he's on the road to Damascus that knocks him down and blinds him of which the others will fall down and, and, and can't see because of the, uh, the light that is emitting from this uh, glorified Jesus standing before him. That is the mountain. That is the scene that is presented in Jesus in all his glory. And the application should put chill bumps onto us because one day Jesus is coming again. And the verses we read from Daniel to the last chapter of the book of, Bible, of the Bible where Jesus will then be unveiled in all of his glory. And he is going to be coming with a group of people. And in this meeting that we're going to see that transpires, remember Jesus had told his disciples, some of you before you die will see me in my glory and will get a glimpse, a preview of the kingdom of God. Not that it will come to them and be established, but that they'll get a taste, a foretaste. And this is exactly what is getting ready to happen, what is happening before their eyes or their eyelids, depending on what part of the story they're, they're watching. So let's look at this here in verse 30. Let's look at the meeting that takes place. And behold, all of the sudden, while this was changing about Jesus and glory was emitting out of him, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah. Just all of the sudden appeared these two men. Now, interesting that Moses and Elijah, the word here, talked with him, is in the original language, means they were having a conversation. This wasn't small talk. It wasn't like they were saying, no, how's the weather today? The, the phrase that is used here is they were in a lengthy conversation. They were deeply talking. At, at, like friends would talk. They're carrying on this conversation, an extended conversation the two greatest prophets in Judaism were Moses and Elijah. Did you know that there is no place in the Gospels or the epistles outside of this event except for the book of Revelation that we read where saints show up, Old Testament saints appear. The only place that it happens is is again it will happen in the book of Revelation where the saints then will be revealed. But the only time that it happens in the New Testament where saints are going to appear from, from the dead or from the past is right here on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this event between Moses and Elijah. Now, one, one author has given three reasons why Moses and Elijah appear here. Both of these men had very unusual exits from the world. If you remember, uh, in the story of Moses, Moses died on Mount Nebo. He wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And because of that, he was taken to the top of the peak of Mount Nebo and was able to get a glimpse into the promised land on the other side of Jordan. And Joshua took the people of Israel across into the promised land to conquer it. Moses was not allowed because of his sin. But Moses was allowed to get a glimpse into that promised land. And then the scripture says that God buried Moses. There he died. To have a personal burial. Imagine having God give your obituary in your service. All right? Just he and the burning bush. All right? Standing right there. And uh, you know, out comes the burning. And then, and then he's buried. Interesting later on in the book of Jude. There's, there's uh, obviously the devil 
um, look to use the dead body of Moses for some purpose. We don't know. Maybe for worship. Um, maybe, maybe for some area that he would, he would use the body in some way. And so because of that, God sent Michael, the archangel, this is recorded in Jude, to come down to uh, Mount Nebo. And there, there is a battle over the body of Moses. Moses is not there. You know, it's just the corpse. And, uh, and then there's a battle there, and, and the Michael the archangel in that place ends up using the name of the Lord to rebuke the devil. And, uh, and his body is then put back in the grave, and then it's, um, uh, it, it's, it's forgotten about until this moment. There he appears. If, if that isn't spectacular enough, you've got Elijah's exit. I mean, how, how did that happen? All right, so Elijah himself had, had not, in fact, he didn't die at all. You know, he and Elisha were just walking. They passed the Jordan River. He was waiting, and he gave a promise. If you see me when I go up in glory, I don't know what kind of promise he had been given. But all, all of a sudden, a, a, a golden, fiery chariot comes down in this whirlwind. And right before Elisha's eyes, Elijah just jumps into that chariot. And just from there, he just is transported up into heaven. I mean, what a spectacular exit that Elijah had. And I'm sure Elijah and Moses are standing there, maybe, you know, maybe just my imagination. And he was like, well, I can beat you on that. And then Jesus says, well, let's talk about mine. You, you guys had some, some interesting, unusual exits from this world. Um, I can beat that, right? Both of these men were reliable witnesses for Israel. Um, as I said, both of these prophets were viewed even by the Pharisees and the religious leaders as very important. And it was out of the mouth of two or three witnesses that any event could be substantiated. And there, here comes two Old Testament witnesses. Both of these prophets represent the Old Testament, two distinct periods in the history of Israel. One under Moses in the first five books of the Bible, which would be early Israel history, and the other Elijah the, of the prophets. This would be the latter portion of Israel's history. And, and Israel, even to this day, their ancient history, they divided into two different phases, the earlier and the later, the law and the prophets. Can I make another suggestion of why these two men are standing there before our Savior on this Mount of Transfiguration in their glory? These two men typify the type of office that Jesus had come to fulfill. By later on, the quote by God himself, who will directly quote Deuteronomy chapter 18, or at least will allude to that, the, the, the implication is that Jesus is that prophet. He's not just a priest who will give himself as a sacrifice. He's not just a king who's getting ready to set up his kingdom. But he is also the very word of God. And both Moses and Elijah being prophets of God, here is that greater prophet than Moses and Elijah, who appear in glory. In other words, they too were in their glorified bodies. Now, two things, two truths that would, that would come out by source of application for us. First of all, it is interesting that they are still alive. After 1,500 years... Going into heaven. 
being dead, at least on Moses' part, leaving his body, and now standing before the Savior on the Mount of Transfiguration around 30 A.D., there is Moses and Elijah. This shows me that our loved ones who die in the Lord, there's no such thing as soul sleep. They exist. They are alive. They are cognitive. They, have, they can carry on conversations. They recognize what is going on. They're clothed in glory. They're able to converse with the Savior. Can you imagine what your dear loved one is involved in right now in heaven? Listen, this life is not all there is. And when this life is over and you're to breathe your last breath, for it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, the judgment, there is life after death. And Moses and Elijah standing before God, a thousand years, 800 years in Elijah's place, after he had come off of this world, and there he is in his spirit with a glorified body in the presence, carrying on a conversation where Peter, James, and John can watch them and see them. You and I, that helps us to understand that our dear loved ones who have gone on before, they exist, and they're in their glory. What kind of glorified bodies, we don't necessarily know. Did Moses and Elijah rent theirs for, you know, for this event? Did God give, them, give it to them a little early so that they could come down, maybe possibly come again in the book of Revelation during the tribulation? We don't know. However, what we do see is that they are alive. And just as Jesus said, before Abraham, I am. Indicating to the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were still Alive in their spirit. And this also, second, reminds me, gives me a promise that one day when Jesus returns, the Bible says we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And Paul says, we shall be changed you see Paul said this mortal shall one day put on immortality and this corruption shall one day put on incorruption and this was not just a thought that Paul had this was consistent among all of the apostles because in 1st John chapter 3 and verse 2 John says this when he appears we shall be like him and listen folks One day, Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ are going to be changed. They're going to receive their glorified body. And one day, we who are alive and remain, if it happens in our lifetime, will metamorphose. We will change. We will be different. And we will see Him in His glory. And then we will be also in glory as well. And we will put off these corruptible bodies. And we will be glorified through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see Him face to face. We will be transformed. That can be an encouragement to us. Notice that the scripture says, when he comes, he will come with his saints. We read that in the book of Revelation. But also, interesting enough, he will also come for his saints. 
So that indicates that there will be people on earth who are alive when Jesus comes so that he can take them. Then when he comes as well, he will also be gathered with a cohort of armies and saints who will be with him. And this is specifically talking of his second coming when he appears. Now, I want you to look back at the verse here in verse 31. And it says here, when they appeared in their glory, what were they talking about? Well, Luke says, they spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. The word here that is used in the Greek is exodon. It's where we get our English word exodus from. It means departure or to leave. How you're leaving. Interesting enough, Moses had his exodus. Elijah had his exodus and both were very spectacular. But nothing would be compared to the exodus that Jesus was going to face. Now the King James here translates this word as the word decease. Focusing more on the process of his death. That was included in the conversation, but there was more that was being talked about here in this. It was the process by which he was going to go through when he got to Jerusalem. How he would die. How he would be buried. How he would rise again on the third day. And then how he would ascend in the clouds back to the right hand of his father. This whole process of how Jesus was going to leave this earth which included his death. Now Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. And, I, and, and, and what it seems like here, and this is kind of what they maybe imagine here, but he's talking to him and he's saying, now what do you guys think of my plans? Moses, what, what do you think of my exodus? What do you think of, of the plan to save the world? Elijah, what do you think of the plan? You've been a, you, you were a prophet. You prophesied. Moses, you prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. Moses knew all about the sacrificial system. He knew all about the scapegoat. He knew all about the sacrifices. He knew all about the foreshadowing of what it was to picture for the, for the Messiah who would come one day. And all of this was a type picturing that. He was the one that was designed by God to set up the whole sacrificial system. He knew all about it. And here Jesus is saying, what do you guys think? I, I just kind of think that maybe Moses would have said, man, that, you know, that's a pretty good idea, but can you add a few plagues? I mean, that really worked with Pharaoh. And I, I think it'll really scare the Romans and it'll show these Pharisees what it's like. You know, you just, just add in a few plagues when, when you do that. And maybe Elijah said, well, yeah, Lord, why don't you bring fire down from heaven? And then right after that, it could rain. And put all the fire out. That would, be, that would be really cool. I saw that one time happen. And that, and that would be really neat. And Jesus says, well, yeah, as spectacular as all those things would be. Um, what, what about I hang between two thieves? How about I take a crown of thorns? What about I hold my hands out as they nail nails while I lay upon a cross? Well, why don't I experience extreme thirst? Well, why don't I, as, as I'm hanging there, be mocked at, laughed at, and stripped naked? How about I take on my shoulders the full wrath of God? And Moses, I'm going to take every time you lost your temper. 
And every time you got mad at those Israelites, I'm going to feel that. I'm going to take that. And Elijah, every time you got discouraged and felt like quitting, I'm going to take that. Every sin that every one of you committed, I'm going to suffer and die. And I'm sure those two men said, sounds like a good plan. I wouldn't have done it that way. But what an amazing show of love and grace. This is not a plan that any man could have made up. We would have done it in the spectacular, in the dramatic, in the fire down from heaven, in the plagues, and all the great displays of God's power in the Old Testament to show them. And yet the scripture says he will come the first time as a lamb led to the slaughter where he will open not his mouth. What a display. And right in the middle of that conversation, who shows up and sticks his foot in his mouth? It's not what he said. Luke says he didn't have any clue of what he was talking about. But he said it anyway. All right. Now this, we're sometimes hard on Peter. But I want you to know, just as Peter, he, he gets some things right, but he also gets some things wrong. As it says in verse 32, here's this meeting, right in the middle of this meeting, Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And you get this a feeling that, that these disciples have a tendency to sleep at the wrong time, like Sunday morning service. Hey, just not the right time to take a nap. Wait till after lunch, okay? So just wake up a little bit. So even if you need to stand up and go sit in the, stand in the back, you can do that. The disciples had a tendency to fall asleep at the wrong moment. It kind of reminded me when I was reading this in this event here. Do you remember another man in the Old Testament named Jacob? Who finds the glory of God that meets with him. And he's asleep and he calls the place Bethel. Because he came face to face with God and knew it not. Why? Because he was sleeping, all right? And sometimes that happens, this, this um, casual spirit. The disciples will find themselves on another mountain in the Mount of, uh, of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane where they will be heavy in sleep as well when they're supposed to be up praying for them. I guarantee you they wish they wouldn't have fallen asleep that night where they could have seen this whole scene. However, they only get a glimpse of the back portion of the conversation. They're obviously able to hear. How did they recognize it was Moses and Elijah? Did Jesus turn around and say, "There, Moses, this is Peter. Elijah, this is Peter. Peter, this is Moses. Or did, you know, did they have name tags? Okay, like at a conference that you go to, there was name tags. Or did they just recognize or did the Holy Spirit just reveal it to them? I don't know. I, I, it would not give in that description. However, they recognized who it was. They knew who it was. It was revealed to them. And they heard some of the conversation. And because of that, Peter blurts out and says, It's good that we've been here. Yes, you're right, Peter. This is something that's special. Well, since it's good that we've been here, why don't we stay around and we build some tabernacles, some booths. These would be uh, some tents. Uh, like a shrine, if you want to put it that way. To commemorate the event. In some ways, he was also connecting with this is the coming kingdom. 
recognizing that in the time of the coming of the kingdom of God, he would dwell with his people and his people would dwell with him. And because of that, the ritual of setting up booths during the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jewish people continued to follow even to the day of Jesus. And so possibly, as this was the indication, Jesus had told Peter, you're not going to die until you see the kingdom and me and my glory. He wakes up from this dream, realizes it's not a dream, he's actually seeing it, and then he says, the kingdom's come. Jesus is king. He's in his glory. Moses is here. Elijah is here. Let's enjoy this party. I don't ever want to leave here. Let's set a booth up for you and you and you. Now notice something that he does that is wrong. First of all, he sets up Jesus on equal ground with who? Moses and Elijah. You see, when we start to get our own plans and we start to have our own agenda, Peter has this tendency to then devalue the Son of Man and set up others in equal. And immediately when, when Peter says, let's set a booth for Jesus, the Messiah, Moses and Elijah, all three of you are worthy of the same. And Peter's just put his foot in his mouth. And put Jesus on equal grounds. And the whole point was saying, I'm greater than Moses. I'm greater than Elijah. I'm greater than Abraham. I'm greater than David. That was the whole point. And Peter had lost that sight because he got a little bit overwhelmed and too excited. And um, in this meeting. Now, I think it's important for us to understand um, that Peter... Um, in getting a little excited about what has happened, he, he starts to, to say things that he doesn't recognize that he's saying and he's carried away. Some have indicated he possibly is even want to stay on this mountain and skip the cross. Jesus had just told them about suffering. Lord, let your kingdom come. We don't want to do the Jerusalem thing. We don't want to suffer and die. Let's just bring your kingdom now. Get rid of the Romans and set your kingdom up now. And I'll make the booths. It'll be okay. And Jesus is saying, it's not the plan. It's not the plan. Not yet. Peter, again, is trying to insert his plans and his agenda above God. And listen, it always messes up. And can we move here at the last? When, while Peter is speaking, verse 34, Peter's interrupted. Peter interrupts Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, sticks his foot in his mouth, and then all of a sudden, while he's talking about setting up these booths, there came a cloud and that overshadowed them, and fear fell upon them, and there came out a voice out of the cloud and said, Hush, Peter. Right? doesn't quite say that, but that is happening. The, the, in, the interruption of Peter sticking his foot in his mouth where God now comes down. Only three times this is going to happen. And God comes down and inserts his comment about what is happening in this scene and tells Peter, listen. Stop talking and listen to him. This is my beloved son. And we've already talked about clouds. We heard that. The cloud appears. And then when the cloud appears, it moves. That means it overshadows. This word overshadow is a very important word to Luke. 
This cloud that overshadows the group. This is talking about the presence of God that is coming in the cloud. He's manifesting himself through this cloud. This would have been clearly seen as an, as an illustration of what had happened in the Old Testament when the cloud followed Moses in the Exodus and when the cloud filled the tabernacle and Moses refused to go in because the presence of the glory of God was there. This also shows up when Solomon dedicates the temple and he's praying there and the cloud moved into the temple and everyone in respect knew that God now was dwelling among his people. The only other time that Luke uses this word overshadow happens in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. If you don't have it in your Bible already, you can mark it down. It's the only two occasions where this word overshadow is used. It's when the angel met with Mary and said this, the Holy Ghost will come upon you And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So in the message of Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have the Messiah and the Holy Spirit is going to come and in you and around you and in your womb is going to overshadow you the presence of God himself. That's what's that holy thing. You see, God chose to come down in the Old Testament via a cloud to display his glory. In the New Testament, God is revealing to us in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And standing there before the disciples, God is saying, here is my son. And when the shadow, when the cloud leaves and the voice is quiet, notice on the hilltop only one person is standing. Who's left? Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus is the presence, is the very presence of the dwelling of God's glory on this earth. And no man can come to the Father but by Him. And this authentication of the person of Jesus is saying, listen to Him, follow Him, obey Him. And wherever He goes, you go. Whatever He says, you you follow His footsteps. And the prophecy of what he was going to do to listen to him. This is my chosen, my beloved, my begotten son. You hear him. And this is a reference to Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. Where that prophet will come and God says, and you will hear him. This event points to us of the glory of Jesus. He is a man, but he is the glory of God. There is no one like him. Not Elijah, not Moses, not David, not Abraham, no one. And one day he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. This event points us to the cross. His whole plan, even sharing with Moses and Elijah, was never a second thought. He came to suffer and die for the sins of the world. That was his plan all the way back. And it never changed. And this event also points us to listen to him. He is our commander in chief. The church today needs to hear Jesus. 
We need to hear His words, more of His words. We need to saturate our lives with the voice of God, the Word of God. Not more self-help, not more books from more preachers, not more education, not more good, good ideas. We need to hear from thus saith the Lord. That's the only way that we're going to find life. And then can I say this, this event also points us to the very dwelling place of God. Where does God dwell in today? Does he dwell in this temple, this church building? When we come in here, you know, the glory of God is in here somehow, and he's not in the gym, okay? So we got to come in here to worship. Where is the glory of God, folks, in, belief, in, in, in the New Testament? Paul answered that question. He said, for your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And Christ dwells in you. And you now have the overshadowing glory of God in your life to help you and to guide you and to overcome your sin and your life. I, a song that uh, we often sing it was written in 1898 by two women, Eliza Hewitt and Emily Wilson. They wrote as well, or she wrote, Eliza did, my faith has found a resting place, sunshine in my soul, more about Jesus, singing I go along life's road. At a camp meeting, while the preacher had been preaching on John 14, let not your heart be troubled. In the passage where Jesus will come back and take his saints home to be with them, she went out of that camp meeting and along with Emily, her friend, wrote the words and the music. While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory. Will the toils of life repay? You know the song? When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. Father, I pray as we close this morning. Thank you that you've given us the promise that you are coming again. Lord, there is a meeting that all of us are going to face, whether we like it or not. And when this life is over, or you were to blow that trumpet, are we prepared to meet you face to face in all your glory? To stand before the judge of all the earth, our creator? Will we be ashamed? Will you be pleased? Lord, will we be distracted? Will we be spiritually asleep? Uh, Lord, I, I pray that believers here this morning, that they will be encouraged. Not just the fact that their loved ones who are died in the Lord are alive and well in the presence of the Savior, but that one day they can see them again, that we will also be changed. And Lord, we need to listen. We need to pay attention to your words. We need them to saturate our life. And sometimes like Peter, we get distracted and we think we know what we're talking about. Thank you for this plan of redemption that goes far beyond we could ever imagine or think. This wonderful grace and amazing love.
Lord, would we today go and be prepared at any moment for your coming in glory. There are those who don't know Christ. And they will experience the full wrath and judgment of God and all of your, 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 um, your justice and righteousness and holiness. And will they be prepared? Will they know that Jesus has come and died so that they can have salvation and forgiveness of sins? With heads bowed and eyes closed, before we close the service, I'd like for Stephanie to just uh, play a song of invitation here and seated where we are. Um, the Holy Spirit has spoken through His Word and you've got a, a little better glimpse of this scene. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Will He catch you off guard? What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. But for those who are not ready, it could be a day of displeasure. You need to, right now in your seat, you need to go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. If you don't know Christ as your Savior today, you need to trust Christ. He came and died on the cross. That's what he was talking about. How he would suffer and die for the sins of the world. And he loved you that much. Will you trust him before it's too late? Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. Life is like a vapor. It's here one minute and it's gone the next. Are you prepared for eternity? Dear Heavenly Father, um, we think about as we close this service, would we be in awe of your glory? There's only a few places in Scripture that we see uh, Jesus in this fashion. And uh, Lord, no man can look upon the Father and live. And yet through the Son of Jesus Christ who's come through this, your Son, um, we can have access to the Father. And we can have that glory. Within the life of believers, we are the temple. We are the dwelling place of Jesus. Would we be careful on how we use our body, where we go, what we say, what we do? Would you be pleased with our life? And Lord, as we're dismissed from this place, if you choose to tarry your coming, would we live for your glory and show forth that glory in our life so that others can see uh, your good works lived out in our life as light into this dark world that would shine. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great week.